Chapter Three of Superseded from Two Sides of a Question by May Sinclair. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Expatriate in Bangor, Maine. Chapter Three Inaugural Addresses. It was evening early in the winter term, and Miss Cursiter was giving her usual inaugural address to the staff. Their number had increased so considerably that the little classroom was packed to overflowing miss cursiter stood in the free space at the end facing six rows of eager faces arranged in the form of a horseshoe she looked upon them and smiled she joyed with the joy of the creator who sees his idea incarnate before him a striking figure miss cursiter tall academic and austere a keen eagle head crowned with a mass of iron-gray hair gray-black eyes burning under a brow of ashen gray an intelligence fervent with fire of the enthusiast cold with the renunciant's frost such was miss cursiter she was in splendid force to-day grappling like an athlete with her enormous theme the educational advantages of general culture she delivered her address with an utterance rapid but distinct keeping one eye on the reporter and the other on miss rhoda vivian m a she might well look to rhoda vivian if she had needed a foil for her own commanding personality she had found it there but the new classical mistress was something more than miss cursiter's compliment nature usually so economical not to say parsimonious seemed to have made her for her own delight in a fit of reckless extravagance she had given her a brilliant and efficient mind in a still more brilliant and efficient body clothed her in all the colours of life made her a creature of ardent and elemental beauty rhoda vivian had brown hair with sparkles of gold in it and flakes of red fire her eyes were liquid grey the grey of water her lips were full and they pouted a little proudly it was the pride of life and she had some other gifts which did not yet appear at st sidwell's there was something about her still plastic and unformed you could not say whether it was the youth of genius or only the genius of youth but at three-and-twenty she had chosen her path and gone far on it and it had been honours all the way she went up and down at st sidwell's adored and unadoring kindling the fire of a secret worship in any other place with any other woman at the head of it such a vivid individuality might have proved fatal to her progress but miss cursiter was too original herself not to perceive the fine uses of originality all her hopes for the future were centred in rhoda vivian she looked below that brilliant surface and saw in her the ideal leader of young womanhood rhoda was a force that could strike fire from a stone what she wanted she was certain to get she seemed to compel work from the laziest and intelligence from the dullest by the mere word of her will what was more her nature was too large for vanity she held her worshippers at arm's length and consecrated her power of personal seduction to strictly intellectual ends at the end of her first term her position was second only to the head if miss cursiter was the will and intelligence of st sidwell's rhoda vivian was its subtle poetry and its soul and miss cursiter meant to keep her there being a woman who made all sacrifices and demanded them so now while miss cursiter stood explaining ostensibly to the entire staff the unique advantages of general culture it was to rhoda vivian as to a supreme audience that she addressed her deeper thought and her finer phrase 
if miss cursiter had not had to consult her notes now and again she must have seen that rhoda vivian's mind was wandering that the classical mistress was if anything more interested in her companions than in the noble utterances of the head as her grey eyes swept the tears of faces they lingered on that corner where miss quincey seemed perpetually striving to suppress consume and utterly obliterate herself and each time she smiled as she had smiled earlier in the day when first she saw miss quincey for miss quincey was there far back in the ranks of the brilliant and efficient notebook on desk she followed the quick march of thought with a fatigued and stumbling brain she was painfully ludicrously out of step yet to judge by the light that shone now and then in her eyes by the smile that played about the corners of her weak tender mouth she too had caught the sympathetic rapture the intellectual thrill ready to drop was miss quincey but she would not have missed that illuminating hour not if you had paid her three times her salary it was her one glimpse of the larger life her one point of contact with the ideal her pencil staggered over her notebook as miss cursiter flamed and lightened in her peroration we have looked at our subject in the light of the ideals by which and for which we live let us now turn to the practical side of the matter as it touches our business and our bosoms do not say we have no room for poetry in our crowded days a score of weary heads looked up there was a vague inquiry in all eyes you have your evenings all of you much can be done with evenings if your training has done nothing else for you it has taught you the economy of time you are tired in the evenings yes but the poets shakespeare tennyson and browning are the great healers and regenerators of worn-out humanity when you are faint and weary with your day's work the best thing you can do is to rise and refresh yourselves at the living wells of literature long before the closing sentence miss quincey's m s had become a sightless blur but she had managed to jot down in her neat arithmetical way poets equal healers and regenerators the address was printed and a copy was given to each member of the staff miss quincey treasured up hers as a priceless scripture miss quincey was aware of her shortcomings and had struggled hard to mend them toiling pantingly after those younger ones who had attained the standard of brilliance and efficiency she joined the teachers debating society not that she debated she had once put some elementary questions in an inaudible voice and had been requested to speak a little louder whereupon she sank into her seat and spoke no more but she heard a great deal about the emancipation of women about the women's labour market about the doors that were now thrown open to women she was told that all they wanted was a fair field and no favour the speaker a rosy-cheeked child of one and twenty was quite violent in her repudiation of favour and miss quincey believed it all though she understood very little about it but it was illumination a new gospel to her this doctrine of general culture it was the large easy-fitting formula which she had seemed to need with touching simplicity she determined to follow the course recommended by the head though by the time she had corrected some seventy manuscripts in marble-backed covers and prepared her lesson for the next day she had nothing but the fag end of her brain to give to the healers and regenerators as for rising miss quincey felt much more like going to bed and it was as much as she could do to drag her poor little body there still miss quincey was nothing if not heroic 
night after night twelve o'clock would find her painfully trying to draw water from the wells of literature she had begun upon browning set herself to read through the whole of sordello from beginning to end it is as easy as a sum in arithmetic if you don't bother your head too much about the guelphs and ghibellines and the metaphors and things and if you take it in short fits say three pages every evening never any more or you might go to sleep and forget all about it never any less or you would have bad arrears as there are exactly two hundred and thirteen pages she calculated that she would finish it in ten weeks and a day there was no place for miss quincey and her pile of marble-backed exercise books in the dim and dingy first-floor drawing-room mrs moon and the bandy-legged cabinet would have had something to say to that all this terrific intellectual travail went on in a dimmer and dingier dining-room beneath it then one night old martha disturbed by sounds that came from miss juliana's bedroom groped her way fumblingly in and found miss juliana sitting up in her sleep and posing the darkness with a problem if said miss juliana three men can finish one hundred and nineteen hogsheads of browning in eight weeks how long will it take seven women to finish a thousand and forty-five 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 if one woman works twice as hard as eleven men martha shook her head and went fumbling back to bed again and being a conscientious servant she said nothing about it for fear of frightening the old lady about a fortnight later rhoda vivian sailing down the corridor came upon the little arithmetic teacher all sick and tremulous leaning up against the hot water pipes beside a pile of exercise books the sweat streamed from her sallow forehead and her face was white and drawn she could give no rational account of herself but delivered two hypotheses as equally satisfactory either she had taken a bad chill or else the hot air from the water-pipes had turned her faint rhoda picked up the pile of exercise books and led her into the dressing-room and miss quincey was docile and ridiculously grateful she was glad that miss vivian was going to take her home she even smiled her little pinched smile and pressed rhoda's hand as she said a friend in need is a friend indeed rhoda would have given anything to be able to return the pressure and the sentiment but rhoda was too desperately sincere she was sorry for miss quincey but all her youth unfettered and unfeeling revolted from the bond of friendship so she only stooped and laced up the shabby boots and fastened the thin cape by its solitary button the touch of miss quincey's clothes thrilled her with a pang of pity and she could have wept over the unutterable pathos of her hat in form and substance it was a rock beaten by the weather its limp ribbons clung to it like seaweed washed up and abandoned by the tide when miss quincey's head was inside it the hat seemed to become one with miss quincey you could not conceive anything more melancholy and forlorn rhoda was beautifully attired in pale grey cloth rhoda wore golden sables about her throat and a big black gainsborough hat on the top of her head a hat that miss quincey would have thought a little daring and theatrical on anybody else but rhoda wore it and looked like a puritan princess rhoda's clothes were enough to show that she was a woman for whom a profession is a superfluity a luxury rhoda sent for a hansom and having left miss quincey at her home went off in search of a doctor she had insisted on a doctor in spite of miss quincey's protestations 
after exploring a dozen dingy streets and conceiving a deep disgust for camden town she walked back to find her man in the neighbourhood of st sidwell's end of chapter three recording by expatriate in bangor maine